Okay, hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of Over the Bridge podcast. Um, today's a really special one because we're joined by a really special guest who's going to introduce himself in just a minute. As usual, as you know, um, it's just unfiltered conversations. We just talk really and just just have a chat about things that we really care about. Um, today, unfortunately, Tom's not here, but I am, Bilal, and we're joined by... Hey, it's Quirky, what's going on, people? Patrick, hey everyone. Money. I was going to say, where's the Peter yeah, Nero this I was, time? I was, I was thinking I'd be a bit more professional. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's because we're I'm in a different still... environment. <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bit different, but no, I'm, I'm still the same P Money. Yeah, we're not recording in our normal studio today. <laughs> so normally we record in like Brent's studio, but today we're actually in um very fancy. This is actually really nice. Yeah, yeah we're in an office. Nice office in the Victoria but, Embankment. I mean, I'm looking the wrong way. These guys are looking at like... The Thames. I've got a really nice view. I've got Bilal and then the, <laughs> and, and then the Thames behind it. It's the view everyone wants. Um, and yeah, we're also joined by our incredible guest for today, Nikki Shukla. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Good, man. Just, just going, don't feel that incredible. Um, and also like what's what's amazing about this this amazing boardroom is you've got like slanted windows. And yeah. so it's like the raindrops are cruising down the map very high velocity making you think it's really really pissing it <laughs> and it's not it's just normal london drizzle yeah. yeah nothing spectacular about it yeah but yeah thank you nikish so much for joining us for those of you that don't know um nikish is an, an incredible author really and has written some and edited some great books which he's going to tell us about today but nikish by way of like introducing yourself in whatever way you want. Because I know that often people get introduced and it's like, this is everything about me. And sometimes like this sounds really awkward coming from someone else's mouth. So tell us, tell us in your audience like who you are. Yeah, it's weird because do you go, <clears throat> here, here is my list of achievements. <laughs> <laughs> or do you go, I'm just, I'm just a guy. I like, I, I like Netflix. I just finished uh, season two of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. It's very funny. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm a writer... Um, I edited the collection The Good Immigrant, which is probably the thing I'm most known for. And I write books as well and the occasional film or TV thing. Wicked. And um, for those that haven't read The Good Immigrant, I'm going to talk a bit about that today. Mm. And also about like the new book that's coming out. And also your new book that is out, which is not The Good Immigrant. Your yeah. other new book, which you can tell us. Like, We'll have loads of chats. Um, but yeah, we picked up on Nickish because of the new book coming out. And anyone who hasn't read The Good Immigrant, like the original book, it's, it's sick, man. Like it's, it's such a cool book. It's a collection of stories. Mm. Um, and I remember like I actually read the book in like a day. It was one of those books right. that mm. I just couldn't put down. Mm. I remember I went on, um, I was actually on holiday in Kenya. Well, no, I say holiday, I was there for work, right? But I was in Kenya, so I was like, I'm on holiday. And like the first day I got It's there. a Freudian slip, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't work there anymore. That's what I'm saying. I'm hoping your bosses aren't listening. <laughs> the first day I got there, just like had the book on the plane, but I fell asleep on the plane. So I thought, right, let me actually read it now I'm here. Mm. I just sat down and opened it. And like the minute I opened it, I was like, I know that this is going to be great. Because um, the stories just kept coming. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What inspired you to actually write that book in the first place? I think that's a nice place to start. Yeah, so the it's a collection of essays by 21 British writers of colour. Um, <clears throat> it's It started with like a bunch of different things that were just going on. So I've uh, my first novel came out in 2010 and I've been like tirelessly working away at book stuff in uh, since then. And I just found myself still in like 2015 
sitting on diversity panels. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's still, like, we were laughing because we were on yeah, we had some, rec- some recent experience doing that as well. Actually. And I, I refuse to do them now because they never. They, they, they're always like, let's have a conversation about a thing that we already know, and that will take mm. the place of actually doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and I'd just done way too many of them. Uh, the conversation wasn't moving forward. Like so, but, you know, before my first novel came out you know I, I sent it out to loads and loads of agents and publishers and pe- I remember one person was like oh I'm really sorry we're already publishing an Indian author this year and I was oh. like okay cool but I'm from Harrow <laughs> wow. and, um, <laughs> you got no one from Harrow <laughs> yeah and um, and uh, another mad. person was like oh we, your characters just don't feel authentically Asian enough and I was like what but I'm Asian <laughs> and what? I wrote them how yeah. can they not be authentically Asian um, and then like think that stuff was still happening to other people. Yeah. And and sometimes sometimes you think like, it's very easy when you kind of get the golden ticket to just go, well, I've got what I wanted. Mm. I'm going to step away from this. But I think it says more when you, you go, well, I got the golden ticket. I got published. I'm going to use that platform to continue fighting for the people who are where I was like two, three years ago. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And, but the problem is like, my outlet for that was just whining on Twitter. <laughs> and there's only so much whining on Twitter you can do when you go, this isn't helping me and it isn't helping push the conversation forward because it's so e- easy from people within various industries to just go, oh, you're the loud voice with the chip on your shoulder yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah. like sideline you and mute you and not really pay any attention mm. to you. And I'd read uh, Between the World and Me by ta Coates and mm. Citizen by Claudia Rankin. And I was like... Where is Britain's progressive contemporary book about race issues? Mm, yeah. I didn't like. I hadn't. It hadn't been announced that Rennie's book was happening. Mm. Um, I had. It hadn't been announced that Fwa's book was mm, happening. Mm. So I was like, well, why don't I try something? So I started writing something, and I was like, I don't have enough to say for a mm. whole book, and you know, I'm not as good a writer as Claudia Rankin or Tanahasi Coates. Uh, but I know lots of people and maybe the thing I can do is just platform lots of people. Mm. Um, so I started putting together <clears throat> what, so, you know, I spoke to my agent about it and I kind of felt like it needed to happen mm. quite quickly. But the thing about publishing is it moves very slowly. Mm. So I could like put together a list of people, put together a proposal, send it around, have my agent send around publishers. It could take six months and then another like year to two years to come out. And I was like, no, this needs to happen now. I'm sick of this conversation. Mm. And earlier that year, I'd gone to a conference and I'd met someone called Rachel, who is the editor at large at a place called Unbound, mm, okay. which is basically mm. like a Kickstarter, a book Kickstarter thing. So like books cost money to make. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like all of the costs of a book need to, be, you know, it's like records, right? Mm. Like all of the costs of the book need to be recouped before you start making royalties. And so like, as well as any advance, there's like the ed- editors, the budget to buy the editor's time, the publici- publicity budget, sales and marketing, printing, cover design, typesetting, all of these things. And um, so like, you're looking at like a 14 grand budget to minimum wow. to recoup before the wow. book even comes out. So what um, Unbound does is they basically crowdfund to pay for that, to pay for all of the costs that it takes for the book to be made. Yeah. And so from like the first sale in the shop, mm. it's making money. And I thought that's really interesting. And also it can happen quickly. And also <clears throat> when people say, whenever I've, I've asked the question in the past, and obviously 
I caveat this with in 2019, four years after I began this journey, things are very different. Mm. Um, but when I would ask the question, why are there so few books published by um, British writers of colour? Why in 2016 was there only one book by a mm. black British male? Um, people would go, well, people don't really read books by writers of colour. And you'd go, okay, cool. How do you know that? Where is your market analysis? Yeah. Where, is your, where is your data capture? Yeah. Where is your consumer report that tells you all of these things? Mm. And these they, don't, are, they don't exist. Are these people within the industry? That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, that, that evidence just doesn't exist. It's, it's all anecdotal. And it's pretty much because people don't know how to sell. Yeah. Because like the workforce was in 20, like 2015, previously predominantly white middle class from London. And so they don't know how to sell regionally they don't know how to sell to people of color they don't know how to sell uh, to working class people they don't know how to sell outside of what they look like and so they just assume well i i mean it's like an unconscious bias thing right mm -hmm. they go in something in their head is going well i wouldn't buy that book right. by those darkies right. <laughs> therefore <laughs> yeah. people i know wouldn't buy that surely and, not yeah exactly mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and i thought what better way to show that people do want to read this book than if we crowdfunded for it to come out before a word of it has even been written. Yeah. And so we launched the crowdfunder in like November 2015. Unbound were like, you know, a month is usually a, like a good time. You can usually tell within a month whether it's going to get funded. If you got to 60% in a month, no, if sorry, if you got to like 40 to 50% in a month, then it will get funded. Mm -hmm. um, and if you get... I can't remember. They have all these like metrics right. for like working out what's going to get funded. We were funded in seventy-two hours. Look at wow. that! Wow, <laughs> look at the strength. <laughs> and we and we we're like there was like a book by a YouTuber that was funded in forty-eight hours, which irks me. But, <laughs> we were funded in seventy-two hours. It would have taken like five days, but we um, J.K. Rowling bought the patron level. Everyone's problematic fave, J.K. Rowling, wow. um, which was wild. Like mm. the whole thing was wild, and mm. like and then. Like all of this stuff, like just kept happening. That kind of helped with that book. So like, the book's coming out, and it's this big reckoning for for the industry. Uh, and then Brexit happens, and it becomes a big reckoning yeah. for the country. Yeah. But like, the weird thing is, I've already curated it to kind of be a thing about publishing rather than a thing about society. And I, right. you know, people have said like, if you'd known about brexit would you have curated it differently i'm like yeah i probably would have done i probably would have gone oh the good immigrant we should probably have like a polish writer we should probably have right, right okay this okay. and this and this but you okay, know i wasn't thinking yeah. about that at the time because like if you set out to go i should be all representative you're gonna fail yeah um and the book is what it is but and then all this other mad stuff is happening so like by the time the book's coming out uh, September 2016 people are starting to really really think about Star Wars Rogue One and my friend Riz Ahmed mm. has an essay in the book and so mm. his essay gets published in The Guardian and it goes mm. viral um, we I was on um, I was on BBC Breakfast wearing a jumper that said token on it which really <laughs> <I love laughs> still that. makes me laugh <laughs> and like just was, that, was that your idea your publicist idea or no like i saw it on um i saw <laughs> so it was your idea there's a uh, an artist called jacob joyce right okay fuck i don't want to get his name i'm pretty sure it's jacob joyce and he he just 
they sorry they just did these like series these jumpers that, cool. that jumper that just said token that's brilliant and that's they were hilarious. like when you're the token on the panel you wear I that might jumper get that, yeah I love loads of diversity training. yeah you should Imagine just rocking up wearing one of them and i was like and i bought it and i was like the first time i'm gonna wear it is on bbc <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, i was wearing it and i was like standing outside the studio with my publicist and it's really hot and i'm like I can't, I can't, I'm starting to take it off. And they're like, come on, you have to come <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm committed to wearing this now. And I sit down and they're playing like, um, like a news report and the presenters come out, hello. Uh, God, all, everyone's names, Naga yeah. Munchetti uh, oh, looks at it and just like <laughs>, laughs. That's so and uh, the, the other presenter, Charlie goes, what does your jumper mean? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a comment on uh, is a comment on diversity in the media, and he goes, right, okay. Anyway. And now we have <laughs> seamlessly to me. It was amazing. It was, it was very funny. It's you know what? One of the things that's interesting is when you said you wrote it without really thinking about Brexit, right? But then it became it became like the book of the year, and at the time, because everyone's like, wow, this is a book about immigration. This mm. is a book that sort of the um, what's the word? the antithesis to what, what's happening in this country in the way that everyone's against immigrants. Then we got this book that's ironically called like The Good Immigrant. Yeah. Mm. And you've got all these stories by just normal people. Yeah. And I, I, what I found really funny was actually the people on the train, you know, it's like on the tube, who's reading what book? That's how I figure out what I should buy. It's a bit loads of white people were reading. Yeah, that's wild because um, I, I was asked a lot, who is this book for? Mm. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's not as clear, clearly in the title as Rennie's book, Why mm. I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, mm. which is almost like a, you know, a challenge, throw, like a gauntlet throw down to white people. Yeah. Whereas my book, <clears throat> it took me a while to figure out who the book was for, but I can tell you the moment I knew who it was for, because I was kind of like, it should be for people of color, but you know, they already know this stuff. Mm maybe it's for white people it's not going to change like a racist uncle's mind but it might make a white liberal yoga yoga person go oh maybe i'm maybe i'm a bit problematic mm -hmm. but so we were doing a gig it was like less than a month after the book had come out mid-october 2016 uh manchester literature festival and we were one of like the headline events and they'd put us in this club and they'd basically take like just, just put loads of seating in the club and so it's like a really like cool environment it wasn't like a traditional book event mm. um actually sorry 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 I'm, I'm jumping about a bit so like the first event we did which was the day the book came out it was at the waterstones in Piccadilly. <coughs> no no in bristol where oh, i live okay okay and um See, that's so like different it's nice <laughs> like always oh piccadilly london yeah oh, bristol man. yeah i mean i'm still in london i'm london. still in london the greatest city in the world yeah. <laughs> but you know i currently live in bristol <laughs> no, bristol's sick of song. i love like bristol i've never been anyway it's sorry. It's, yeah it's a, nice, it's a cool place um, so the first question in the Q&A, a white woman in the front row puts her hand up and she goes, how does it feel? How does it feel that we're all just sitting here and we're all white and you're just all lecturing us about race? How does that feel? And uh, <laughs> I didn't, oh, I, I answered like, I, I said something really pithy to move the conversation on because yeah. I didn't want to get bogged down in like managing her feelings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Darren Chetty went, mm -hmm. but you're not all white? look behind you and she looked behind her and and i realized that as well the the majority of the audience was 
predominantly people of color. It was amazing. And then flash forward to like less than a month later, because you know, you do book events, it's yeah, predominantly yeah. middle-class white people. Yeah. Yeah. Like we do this event in Manchester, the audience like sold out 300 people. The audience is like 90 to 95% people of color. Mm. And I would say well over half of them are like under 30, which mm. for me being an old bastard is young people. Mm. And I was like, this is who this book is for. And so in, right. your, in your Elms and I are like, we're hanging around like doing the signing afterwards and we're chatting, like we just, we just happen to be standing next to each other. And I think uh, to the other people, the other two who were doing the gig were standing somewhere else. And we were just like, all oh, these young people coming up to us and just going, thank you, thank you for, for this. Mm. And I was like, this is who this book is for. Mm. And it um, it reminded me of, so I, I'm 38 years old. When I, in 1994, I was watching TV and an advert comes on TV for a BBC, mini, BBC two miniseries called The Buddha of Suburbia, starring a young Naveen Andrews, who's mm. like playing a 16 year old, like long curly hair, brown skin, beautiful, shagging girls, taking drugs, listening to Bowie. And I was like, who is this kid? This Me? kid is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'd I'm never, joking. no, but like, you're right, but like, yeah. I'd never seen that yeah, before yeah. on TV. And I was like, I need to watch this. But, you know, it was 1994, mm. there was like a one TV household. I wasn't really going to be sitting next to my mum and dad going, mm -hmm. wow, <laughs> this, is a bit, this is a bit dicey. Um, <laughs> but then it goes based on the novel by Hanif Qureshi. And I was like, okay, well, I can get the book out of the library. Uh, and the first line of that book uh, is, my name is Kareem Amir and I'm an Englishman through and through, mm. almost. And that, mm, when, right, when he goes almost, almost I was like, damn yes mm. thank yeah. you that's me i'm almost yeah because like i go to a predominantly white school and i don't really fit in there and then i like predominantly gujarati community at home right? mm. i don't really fit in there i'm somewhere in between yeah i'm an mm. almost kid mm -hmm. and so for me that moment in manchester literature festival just crystallized who the book was for yeah. it's for young people of color who need their book wow. of suburbia moment wow and this is that, that like validation Mm. Almost. Yeah, I think it's just like a thing of, of being seen. I feel like when you're young and black or you're a person of colour in this country, you feel like like Nikish was saying, like you're 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 British but you're not really. Like you you, you like you don't almost as if like you don't come up in the census or like mm -hmm. you don't see your I mean you you do nowadays, but like you, you don't it's almost like you don't see your identity in like the kind of the tick boxes when it comes to like how society is. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know like what? This is a tangent, but it's relevant. I was talking, I was in a school this morning and I was working with, I worked with like year sixes on a Friday. Mm. And there was, um, there was this little girl and she, you know, she was doing an ethnicity form. Mm. And then she like, she was only what, 10. And so she ticked, um, she was looking for Lebanese. And she was like, oh, but I'm not on here. And then she said, she was like, where do I tick now? And it was just really interesting because mm. she had no, she didn't know what box she should mm. take. Mm. 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 I think can, another can element of, sorry to cut you. No, no, go, go. Um, I guess what you were saying about that Buddhist suburbia moment is like, there's one thing about being represented and, and, and kind of like having that shared experience. But another element is a lot of times we kind of go through life and we aren't able to articulate like how we feel about certain situations. And then other people are able to kind of capture it and it's kind mm. of like a, okay like i understand now like mm. my experience is is somewhat validated because like someone's able to say it in a way it's like it makes sense and it's not just something in my head that i can't 
kind yeah. of express. And I think that's another powerful yeah. thing that it does. Yeah, re- yeah, exactly. That's what we wanted to do. Mm. Can I ask a really ignorant question about mm. those equality monitoring forms? Because like, I mean, we all have problems with them. Mm. And when, so do, do, does it, def- does it, does it just black British or does it define? It's, it depends. Black British, I've like seen black African, African, black Caribbean. Yeah, and black other as well now. And black, yeah. Yeah. Black others in the yeah, yeah, and then there's like mixed, but I don't know if it really like a lot of the time. Like you probably know better than me, but like when, <laughs> it, laughing, when when it says mixed, <laughs> it's like it doesn't tell you what you can be mixed with. Yeah. It's just mm. like I mean, I guess mixed white and this, mixed white and that, mixed white and this, mixed and then other, mixed other. Please right. specify. And yeah, it's like one tiny line. So okay, yeah, mm. yeah, because we've always got like British, Asian, Indian, Pakistani. Bangladeshi, Bangladeshi, and then other, um, and then some of the, some of the, I think some of the forms then forget that Asia just isn't South Asia, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man, this is like one of the, the Asian network yeah. kind of forgets that Asian mm. network isn't, you know, is mm. more than just South Asia. But mm-hmm. that's by the way. Um, yep, shots yeah. fired, Asian. Network. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming for you. Man. <laughs> um, I wish, you know. Please think favorably of the pitch that I, for a show I just. <laughs> what's what's been cool though is like the way that I guess you decided um, to start on your sort of literary career is very similar to like how we started. I think it's like this thing of being in this echo chamber of Twitter mm. and just like shouting at anybody or nobody and just like feeling like you're getting nowhere. Um, what for you like when you were ranting like when you were like going through this like kind of. You, yeah, you were sort of shouting to an audience that may or may not be listening. Um, was it like, for you, was it like a therapeutic thing? Was it a cathartic thing? Or was it like, I have to do something? Or why Why were you doing that? That's a really good question because I don't know how much I achieved other than just build up an impression that I was the angry ethnic <laughs> um, and burn mm. some bridges or make <laughs> yeah. all people in the industry make decisions about what sort of person I am based on how much I held them to account on things. Mm-hmm. And when it when it comes down to it, I am not good at doing that sort of pithy put down quote tweet take down. It's thing. a skill, man. It's a it's a skill and it's a skill I do not possess. <laughs> yeah. Um like and I guess it's probably because I I can I can see the potential I guess now I can see the potential of my platform. And so I kind of feel like I can do, you know, I'll leave that to the people who do that so well and I can do yeah. do the other stuff. Because yeah. I think it, it took, I think it just took me a while to realise who I was doing it for. Mm. And, and you know, in a weird way, doing The Good Immigrant made me realise who I was doing it for. Like, mm. the best way to... Uh, personally, I, you know... Please tell me if you think if you disagree with this, but like personally, I kind of feel like the best way to arm young people of color, like the next generation of people of color, mm. is to hold a mirror up to them and not basically point them in the, in the direction of a fight and go go fight. I don't know, like, but that but that's mm. just maybe that's my my style. It's, yeah, it's interesting because that makes me think of there are a lot of people who are about like galvanizing people up to fight, right? And mm. and that's. You know, people have always said forever, there's, oh, there's a place for that. Or like, it's useful to do that. But sometimes so when There it's, is, but I just don't think it's, it's yeah. me. It's not me. And mm-hmm. I also think mm-hmm. that sometimes that comes from a place of just ignorance anyway. You know, like, oh, let's just fight about it. 
right when there's other actually mm. like let's bring real voices to the fore yeah yeah i mean i remember one thing that my dad used to say like when i used to um like when i was growing up um i mean just like every other black person person of color like you deal with microaggressions and racism like from as long as you can remember like you learn what racism mm. is because you probably were uh, a victim of racism um but one thing he always used to say to me was like the pen is mightier than the sword so like when you want to like when that's you one of the beta's parent quotes you know? yeah <laughs> the thing is, like, at the time and I, I still don't know where i where i stand on that like because i remember there was one time me and my dad had this discussion i i went to um I went to a protest march in solidarity with, um, I think it was, um, is it Michael Gray? No, Mike, Michael Brown, sorry, Michael mm-hmm, Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, back in like 2015, mm-hmm. back in those days. And my dad was really annoyed that I went and, and I was like to him, but why? Like, you, you know, you, you raised me to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, be about that life, like to protest injustice when you see it, blah, blah, blah. And like, he, the discussion got quite heated and it was like for a moment he forgot himself and said what he really wanted to say was mm. and which was oh i just wish it wasn't you that had to do that wow that's what i mean so that's really interesting i i wanted to because we we were talking before the podcast today and you were saying because um, nicholas was saying that he's been working um uh, he used to work for chuck i mean you can explain this better but um he's been working with like race relations for a while and stuff like that and he had a job with Charlton athletic and it was like oh wow anti-racism role but he, what he was saying was um he, at the time he didn't perhaps didn't care as much as he does now right is that yeah and i, and, I think i think it was this i'll let you this, do, i'll let yeah. you explain but i think when I, I think I was probably just working on that project at the wrong time in my right, life. Right. Okay. Because it was a project. It was a. Pro, it was a community cohesion project mm. um, based around young families mm. and trying to bring young families together for a collective good. But I was in my early twenties and I kind of wanted to. <clears throat> I wanted to be at the like. The, the sort of the cold face of anti-racism a bit more rather than doing right. like the community right. cohesion end. Right. Right. And also, like, part of me was, like, it was so far removed from my life because I, at that point in my life, had no interest in having a family. But now in my late 30s, mm-hmm. I have a family. I kind of understand the good that I could do now mm-hmm. with that project. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, it was an interesting space because, you know, Charlton Athletic had been away from the Valley for, like, 10 years and they'd right. been sharing a ground with Millwall. Um, and oh, then wow, okay. when they moved back to the Valley, like, the... Like the ethnic makeup of the area had completely changed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so they were like, "Well, we we still have we want to do something to bridge the divide between our fans and the people who live in our local area and mm-hmm. our community because our community is different, and we have to take responsibility for that." Which I think is a really honourable thing. Yeah. Um, but just going back to what you're saying about that thing with your dad, yeah, like I think it's a constant thing that I have with my dad as well because I don't think my dad really understands. Mm what I do because my dad is definitely of that that immigrant parent mentality of just like be quiet work hard mm. don't make any noise mm-hmm. just get on with it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the thing is like I I feel like because my dad listens to this so I don't want to do a disservice to him, but <laughs> he, hey Patrick he's, yeah he's, okay I'm playing the role of your dad come and say to me what you wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> but um let's use this as he, therapy he, he, he's always but his sort of like stance on like fighting injustices, it was never like, oh, just, you know, 
keep your head down and work hard. It was work hard, but also call it out when you see it. Yeah. So I was following his example. I was like, this is how you raised me to be, right? Mm. So why is it now that I'm doing this, mm. you're giving me a hard time about it? And I think it's just like, he was scared for me, it, yeah. but I'm just like, well, when you, were, you're, when you were my age, you were doing the same thing. And like now that you have kids, is it like, have you have your sort of views changed on like your kind of like stance, I guess? Because like you were saying before, when you were at Charlton, you wanted to kind of be like the, you know, like the rev- like the forefront, you know? Yeah. And yeah. now, now that you have kids, has that changed or is that? I, d- I don't think my desire to strive for equality has changed. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think, I think I've just realized, like it's just become more and more apparent to me the older I've got that people have different skill sets yeah. and the whole, the, the way that a community works is mm. by people playing to the best of their strengths. Sure. Mm. Um, you know, I am, a, I, I'm a writer. I'm really good at writing. I can write, I can tell our stories and I can write words that might inspire people to kind of raise their aspirational levels. Like, mm. so for me, the pen is mightier than the sword, mm. but then some other guy might not be able to write. Yeah. So the sword, sword sword is definitely, yeah. Yeah. If you are that guy listening, put down the sword. It's a little <laughs> <laughs> Stop the violence. Also, it's a bit old. Like we have guns and stuff. Why are we Let's not do this, man. Let's not do this. I want to like oh, move man. the conversation on a bit, right? Because there's a new book. We're having a, we, we're having a I know, I know. We're you're we're agreeing we're with we're Patrick's dad, <laughs> which is great. Um, it's a beautiful w- moment. Yeah, but I wanted to pick up on like the new book coming out. And were there, The Good Immigrant US is coming out, which is incredible. Yes. Um, and one, like, be great to hear, like, the motivations behind it. Was it similar or entirely a different thing? Mm. Um, and then two, I wanted to actually touch on a point from the editor's note, which I really liked. And it's just this sentence. We wanted to humanize immigrants. Yes, yeah. And, like, tell us more about that. Mm. Yeah, so... Um obviously when the good immigrant came out like it was hectic and it it was everywhere and it was like a big cultural moment and it's really mm. exciting and you kind of think a lot about you think a lot about what you do next how you use that platform and um you know we did we did wonder about trying to get the book put out in america and other places excuse me given that a bunch of the contributors lived you know Musa lives in Germany mm. Shemen and Bim live in New York and Riz is back and forth to America quite a lot so we were like well maybe we should try and get this book out into the world but we <clears throat> we kept taking the book out and the response was we've got our own problems mm. uh, we need to deal we need to like have a reckoning with it we need to have a long hard look at ourselves mm. first and we were like, okay, well, maybe we should do an American book. Mm-hmm. Is that a silly idea? And we sort of thought about it and I wasn't ready to do it for a really, really long time. Um, and then I can't remember what happened, but um, we were approached about putting together a proposal and we thought, let's give it a go. And so, yeah, we just we started chatting to a bunch of writers um, who had all expressed some interest in... You know, they'd all, they'd all said, if you do an American book, give us a shout. And so we started chatting to people. Mm. And then it, so it started to feel real. And then at the same time, we were like, well, what do we do with The Good Immigrant UK? <clears throat> and the thing that I'd kind of realized with The Good Immigrant UK was, yes, it's really great to give writers a platform to talk about 
race and immigration issues, but there are a lot of marginalized writers who don't get the space to write about what they want to write about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they might want to write sci-fi or they might want to write creative yeah. non-fiction about <laughs> yeah, beekeeping in Norway yeah. or what have you. Yeah. And so um, we were like, let's do a journal. Let's continue this conversation. Let's find these new writers, but let's do a journal and just give them the space to write whatever they want. So we launched the good journal mm-hmm. to kind of carry on what was going on in the UK um, and with the US, yeah, we had, we had a heap of writers. And Shimen Suleiman, who is, uh, you know, she's one of my best friends. She's an amazing writer and she was a contributor to the original book. And she lives in New York. Um, so she was like, I'll edit this. You can't really edit this. You're not on the ground. And, you know, I trust her and mm. I've worked with her. And I was like, of course, yeah, let's, let's do this together. Mm. Um, and so, yeah it just kind of all came together and it just sort of lined up really nicely with uh, Charmaine Lovegrove launching Dialogue Books and, you know, Charmaine has been a big supporter of ours from, like, the first day and Charmaine was like, let me do this. And we were like, of course. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we got we got some amazing writers, um, like some writers I'm, like, properly proud of, like Tedrick Cole's in it. Yeah. He's amazing. Got Jenny Zhang, who I really love. We've got my oldest one of my oldest friends in the world's little sister who is like america's now america's most uh, respected food writer which is really cool um her name's tejal rao and i've known her since you know she was little and now now she's just this amazing food writer um god that sounds patronizing doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) if you're listening to this i love you (laughs) um Yeah. uh yeah and like we got like people who are doing really interesting things so we've got a film director called Jan Demange who mm. uh, he directed Top Boy and then went to America and just did this film White Boy Rick and he's been living in America for ages um, we got invited to the screening of that didn't we yeah, like, we oh, did. Did. yeah that's yeah. Still, just the two of you was I not in no we all oh, were but we, you were travelling Tom oh, okay. was I think travelling as well and oh, we wow. just went on top of our emails and we missed the the, the yeah. private screening I'm just upset pre-screening about sorry about just upset um, little side story anyway um, but yeah, some yeah. amazing writers on it. Yeah, yeah, really exciting. But was um, I guess what I was going to ask is like, were the motivations for this book more because of Trump or because of the where America's at right now, or was it like just again like, oh, I just want to tell these stories? Mm. There's something so powerful about giving someone a platform to tell their own story in their own voice. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the thing about the humanizing of immigrants. Yeah. You know. Immigrant is now like a like a dog whistle slur on a Daily Mail headline. Mm. You yeah. know, when when they say immigrants, you know they mean darkies. Yeah. Mm. Uh, when they when they say immigrants, you know they mean it pejoratively. And it's the same. It's the same like in America as well. And I just and I thought, I tell you who we're not hearing enough from people mm. from these backgrounds. <laughs> I really remember like, so when June Brexit. Uh, Nigel Farage stood in front of that breaking point poster with his legs akimbo looking yeah. like a racist bastard. Yeah. And um, I got, I was so upset, so upset. Uh, and that was almost like my breaking point. And I remember around that time, I think it was like a couple of days after that photo had gone out in the press, um, I was just leaving my office. I was like, I really need to humanize I- immigrants. Mm-hmm. This was like early June or mid June. I just tweeted a picture of me and my dad and I can't remember what I wrote. Something like, you know, my dad's my dad's uh, from Kenya, came here in the early '60s, 
he's a great man. I'm hashtag proud child of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. And like between my office door and the front door, like a couple of other people have gone, oh, that's nice. And then they'd added their own. I like, I'd retweeted wow. them. Mm-hmm. Unlocked my bike, phone buzzing, a couple more, retweeted them. Cycled home, which is like a 15 minute cycle. And it, the threat, the post has gone viral. And like suddenly you had all these stories from people from all sorts of backgrounds yeah. like doing similar things like tweeting pictures to their parents and like mm. you know when you suddenly see when like people see faces like yeah. when they when they're, they're humanized they're, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then out of that sp- um, span out like hashtag I am an immigrant and mm. and you just realize how little space people from these backgrounds are given to tell their stories mm. in their own voices and mm. you know that's part of what both these books are about you know mm. I love yeah and I love that's what I really love about it, it's just people being given voice and agency yeah. in a world that I guess, like in my opinion, takes it away, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And like, you know, people always say, yeah, but we've progressed, like life is way better now and we don't need this stuff. But like, you still hear stories every day of like actual hate crimes, mm. you know? Yeah. I, I can tell you a, a story of how little we've moved in 50 years. Do it. So uh, my uncle in 1968 tries to buy a house in Huddersfield and the company that's selling the house refuses because they have a company policy not to sell to coloured people. And my uncle goes, okay, seen, uh, but it's 1968, the Race Relations Act has just come in. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, this is now illegal. So he does what everyone tells him not to do, which is take them to court. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uncle is the first person to have ever brought a case of racial discrimination under the 1968 Race oh, Relations wow. Act. Cool. <clears throat> Everyone tells him not to do it. His friends, yeah. his family, yeah. come, uh, like where he works, mm-hmm. people around him, counsellors, don't do it. But he does it because he really believes in standing up for what's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's a new bit of legislation, the judge, uh, like the lawyers get some stuff wrong, some like legislative snuff. Mm-hmm. And so the judge ha- is forced to dismiss the case. But in his summary judgment, he says, had I tried the case... I would have found in favor of my uncle that that discrimination had taken place. Uh, and the company changes, shamed by this changes their policy. Mm. And, you know, that that story has just stayed with me my entire life because, you know, that's someone who, like, against mm. everyone's advice, stood up for what he believed in because he believed in what's right. Mm. And I talk with him about this a lot. And then in t- 2017, we're talking about this you know, that kind of spirit of standing up for your mm. community and standing up for what's right is kind of a theme in one of my YAs that I'm working mm. on. So I'm just chatting to him. And then we move on to talking about, in 2017, there's that landlord in Kent who refuses to rent properties to South Asians because they stink the place out with yeah. curry. Mm. And my uncle says, I fought this exact same case in 1968. And it just goes to show in 50 years how much the laws can change to protect us but they do nothing to change people's hearts and minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where the real work is. Yeah. 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 yeah that really is. And like, I, I think um, that you hear stories of this like literally every single day. On my way here, my friend Ruth um, texted me saying that this morning she was getting off the bus and like she, this didn't upset her because she was like, but what? The, there's a part of it that does. So she's getting off a bus and there's a white woman who is like walking off the bus and is like, what do you mean I'm not a priority in my own effing country? Like, um, all you smelly whatever, like expletives. And there was two older black men both sitting next to each other on the bus. And 
one of them just literally just looked so tired and heartbroken. Mm. And like she wanted to hug him because she was like, mm. you just look like this has happened so many times. Yeah. It's worn down. Yeah. 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 And was, but I guess like we're going down like a rabbit hole of like bad stories because we've got great stories coming out in the books, right? And that's what it's for. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, there's... It, it's amazing the kind of the solidarity that you can um, you can galvanise around someone telling a story that we can all relate to. Mm-hmm. Whether, you know, whether... For, you know, for, for all of the good that Good Immigrant's done, obviously anyone could read it and go, well, this doesn't represent my specific experience, <laughs> which is fine. But the thing that everyone who... Like, the majority of people who have thought that, I think, or at least have brought that to my attention, that I haven't, we missed out one a particular voice. A lot of people have gone, thank you for carving out space where we feel like we can now tell our stories. And that's what yeah. kind of counts. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not always going to get it right. I'm not always going to be able to, like, mm. be all representative. And also, like, it shouldn't just, it, it, it isn't just me, but, like, it shouldn't just be down to me or, like... <clears throat> Charlie Brinker's cuff with Mother mm. Country or like anyone else who's done an anthology because like all they're doing is curating a conversation starter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um because we can't cover everything. Yeah. But we can we can carve out space for people. Mm. Um the pro- you know the thing the thing that no one no one really vocalizes enough with all this work is like it's it's also subjective, right? I have very specific tastes. Mm. Like uh, Derek Awusu, who's just uh, edited the Safe Anthology, has very specific tastes. Yeah. Um, Kit Dewal, who's just done this Working Class Anthology, has very specific tastes. Like, and we will curate and edit to our tastes. Like, yeah. people tell me that The Good Immigrant is a really funny book, a surprisingly funny book. And it's like, yeah, because I'm a comedy writer. <laughs> I write sitcoms. Um, the Good Immigrant USA is a lot more poetic because it's been co-edited by an actual poet. You right. Know? So, right. Yeah. Like, all, yeah, all of these sort of sense. subjective tastes kind of feed into this yeah, narrative. Sure, sure. It's funny you say that as well, though, because as much as people... So, I guess disclosure, like, we kind of got early access to The Good Immigrant USA. And I've read, like two or three chapters at random, right? And for each of those writers, I was able to relate to at least one element or something that they mentioned. Um, and I feel that's something, that's what's so great about having stories written um, and being able to tell it in your own voice because it just seems like there's always, and these are human stories. These aren't just, I mean, given that this is from an immigrant background, there's stuff that I feel like every person can relate to. This idea of feeling lost within your community or not being able to relate perfectly to, you know, where you live and where you're mm. from. And I didn't see stuff in general. And mm. it was so mad for me. Like, I, I, there was a moment when I was like, um, I'm trying to remember which specific cry it was, but she's talking about being in the taxi, you know, Uber and speaking oh, to her. Yes. And um, there's a Pakistani driver, yeah. right? And the fact that they kind of came from the same place, um, but the disappointment that he found when she wasn't able to speak Urdu mm. back to him, him and um, the fact that she has this connection to him, but she can't fully yeah. connect and embrace yeah. that. Mm. And the loss that she, and the loneliness that she talks about in that as well. Mm. I can completely relate from my own experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, there's so many moments like that. I was like, wow, this literally captures experiences in my own life. And it, mm. It's, yeah, it's, it's, there's there's validation that comes from that as well. Like it's not just me. Like, 
There was one um story, um I say story <coughs> one one chapter that um that I um, that sort of caught my attention and it actually sort of goes back to what you were talking about when it um when we were discussing like who the book is written for, and you know we were talking about how um at the um the the book launch there was that that one white lady that was like okay you're sort of talking at us and accusing us of racism blah 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 um so we've established that you know the book um the british one at least is sort of targeted at you know young people of color right um so the the chapter that i read was um by me higgins which is like different to all the other ones because mm-hmm. it's this is um she was an irish american mm-hmm. uh immigrant i guess with inverted commas i'm doing inverted commas right now because don't really call white people immigrants, at least not in in the United States. And her chapter was really interesting because it was like she used her platform and her privilege to basically talk about white privilege and why she was able to emigrate to the United States and, and be, have been illegal for being yeah, illegal. Yeah, yeah. like she, yeah. her story is wild. Like if you if if you Check made her off. story that of a brown person, mm-hmm. like. You'd be like, what? Like, think of like Twenty One Savage as well. It's funny that yeah. th- we're, um, we're doing this this week. Hmm. Um, if you don't know about Twenty One Savage, he recently has come out that um, he may not actually have been born in the United States. And uh, there's speculation that he's born in the UK, and now he's um, being detained by ICE, which is like the um, I can't remember what it stands for, but um, but yeah, basically control. What a name as well. Yeah, ICE. Like, it just it, sound, yeah, they have to sound cold. It, it sounds yeah. yeah, exactly. But anyway, um, so her chapter was. Basically, her being, a, I think, a pretty good ally. Because um, yeah. I, I didn't think it was weird. I was like, okay, we've got an Irish-American talking about her immigrant experience. I rolled my eyes a little bit. But I was like, no, let me read this. And she basically goes through the history of, like, um, Irish... Um, well, a recent history of Irish immigrants yeah. to the United States and the privilege that she has and other Irish-Americans have had, especially because there are so many Irish people in the sort of political framework of the United States mm. now. So the Irish-Americans, even though they started life in America pretty far down the food chain, mm. um, in the 20th century, you know, they're a lot more, they have a lot more political clout. So mm-hmm. she talks about all of that. She talk, goes through all the different legislation and all the kind of special loopholes and things that were made for mm. Irish-Americans. Even the fact like um, they have... Uh, like sort of visa lotteries and how like Irish Americans got like a large percentage of those those sort of visa lottery entries and stuff like that. Wow. Um, so I thought it was a really it was a, it was a it was a, it was a good chapter obviously to have in there. Um, but my I guess my question and my point is is like what is the role then of white audiences or, or, or even white people like being allies in this? Like mm. I think she sets a good example. Yeah. But are we we've we've obviously outlined that you know this is not. It, white audiences aren't taken to this as much as people of color are, but maybe they should be. Yeah, like you raise a really interesting point, and that Maeve's essay is kind of like our little sneaky bomb. That yeah, we, we I, lob in the book. I like that man. because the uh, you know while what the first book, the UK book, while what it was there for was you know as I said earlier, it was mm. like my little bit of suburbia mm. nod to the you know a generation of people who felt underrepresented mm. this book you know we i guess because of a degree of distance from america that both shaman and i have because we didn't grow up there mm-hmm. like we felt like we should attack the idea of the immigrant a bit yeah. more head on yeah. and america's immigration and so in doing that in have in establishing that you know we have to acknowledge that American, like American race issues and immigration issues are very, very different. 
um, <clears throat> we can't, we, you know, we can't approach um, black Americans in the same way that we could approach black black Brits. black British people yeah. Yeah. because, you know, of, um, you know, the 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 issues around race and immigration are so vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, the and and also when we were th- when I was thinking about all the projects that Maeve was doing um, around like plat- using her platform as like her, her essay is called The Luck of the Irish. Yeah. Um, using her platform uh, to basically bring through people who've had a much tougher time than her. I, I, you know, I think, mm. I think what she's doing is amazing. And there's also another essay by a, a, a white Jewish writer as well mm. talking about um, what it is to be Jewish in America, but not only that, but to leave America for, for a period of time mm. and... Um, come back to America having been an immigrant like mm. around the world um, and, 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 and so like it's just a, a really I think the reason for doing that was to kind of acknowledge that mm. what's going on in America is different to here and also there's a point in which we should take the title which is like subversive and sarcastic. Mm, mm. Uh, but we She was take, the bad immigrant in this yeah, in this instance wasn't yeah, she? Yeah. Me figures by the kind of like the in a legal sense, like she was yeah, and, illegal in the United States, and, and she's of, very honest about the yeah. fact that she could get away with it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, it's and it, it, it's really fascinating, and I think it's a great story. And also, she's so funny as mm, well. Yeah. She, she does it with such wit and humor. Mm. The the piece I'm most excited about people coming across is uh, Mo- Mona Chalabi's piece okay. because it's very different. She's a data journalist for The Guardian and uh, she does amazing infographics. If you're on Instagram, you need to follow her because okay. she's so talented and she has done us an infographic about immigration cool. in America. Oh, cool. It's very cool. So that chapter yeah. is just like infographics or is it? I don't want to ruin it. Okay, all right, yeah, don't ruin yeah. it, don't ruin it. But um, it, involves, it involves you defacing your book. Oh, okay. Ooh, wow. Ooh, I like that man. A yeah. bit of iconoclasm. Yeah, 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 it's very cool. Nice. Nice, nice. all right. You know what? I wanted to ask a question because... You're a comedy writer by trade, like you you write comedy. Um, what is the role of comedy in like telling these kinds of stories? Because this is actually like most people go, this is such a like a deep, heavy hitting topic. Like we talk about immigration and stuff and race relations and all that stuff. Is there what, what is the role of comedy? Um, well, comedy, comedy. There's an old Steve Allen quote that comedy is tragedy plus time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most comedy is born out of pain, mm. unless you're yep. Jonathan Pye, in which case you painfully like to kick downwards. That's by the by. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. I, I mean, he, he name searches himself on Twitter, but I'm sure he also has like some sort of audio detection for any time. <laughs> if you're listening, Pye, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is just coming for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's I think I think comedy can bring people together mm. comedy can unify people um laughter can you know you can you can instill more knowledge and learning and empathy in people mm. by getting them to laugh than you can by lecturing them I think mm-hmm. yeah um Definitely. I think I think we're in a weird situation where um there are certain people who have forgotten what comedy is there for and what satire is there for, yeah. and what power structure is involved in comedy. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think if you want to tell your shitty right wing jokes that look down on uh, marginalized communities, that's on you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when Judgment Day comes and that book is brought out, you can have your reckoning then. That's fine. But don't assume that that it's a free speech issue. Because, mm-hmm. like, the thing is, if you tell a shitty joke and people call you out on that shitty joke, that's their free speech to do so. If you want the free speech to tell the shitty joke in the first place. <laughs> so I think, I think comedy's having like an interesting time at the moment. Um, I, I want to, you know, the more all this stuff goes on, the less funny I find the world. Yeah. And uh, the more I think I just want to write comedy that is joyful and mm. steeped in the idiosyncrasies of people who I love and um, not be political in in any way yeah. which i think is a political act in itself yeah um but you know times are hard and we need to laugh exactly mm. like the other day me i kept looking at you because yeah the, we had we were walking down oxford called, street yeah. chatting about like comedy yeah. and how it's always been historic at the expense of the most marginalized right and so it's interesting you talk yeah. about like, the power dynamic yeah I'm, I'm doing a project with the university of liverpool at the moment about this very thing about oh. the power dynamics in mm. comedy mm. um and we're doing a couple of round ta- tables in the next couple of months i think <clears throat> the thing that i that stays with me the most was jerry Sein- i love seinfeld i love this sitcom i thought you know it's a very nasty sitcom but it's fun as well um jerry seinfeld was asked about the lack of diversity in on the show and um you know you don't you know uh, there are things that are very very white that i find funny like mm. people shows hilarious mm. but um he said i don't care what color you are funny is funny i don't care if you're black if you're white funny is funny and i just think that's bullshit mm-hmm. like funny is funny to who right mm-hmm. You know, funny is there isn't an objective. Yeah, there isn't one singular yeah, funny. Yeah, 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 exactly. There isn't one singular funny. Funny is subjective. Um, what what makes one person laugh won't make another person laugh. You could tell the same joke as a stand-up ten times to ten different audiences and have ten different reactions. Mm. That at the very least should prove to you that funny isn't always funny. Mm. <clears throat> And if you think that funny's funny, ask yourself who's laughing and who isn't and why the person wow. isn't laughing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're not going to... I mean, when it's at the expense of you, right? Like when someone's telling a joke and you're like, that's literally my life. Yeah. <laughs> you're turning that into a joke. Like, I don't find this funny. Mm-hmm. I think I think you can tell a bad stand-up or, or a stand-up um, who isn't operating in good faith when they are put out by the fact that someone's not laughing at their joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and instead of un- understanding why they might not be laughing mm. or going, some stuff doesn't always bang with everyone. Yeah, yeah, they go, "How dare you not laugh at my work?" Mm. Yeah, and that's fucked up. I think mm. that's mad. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I guess like we're coming to the end actually because we've, we've actually run over. But we've had to for anyone who's listening to this, like the amount of times that we've paused because something's happened, like there was a fire alarm that went off, all <laughs> kinds of stuff. So we've actually run over time. But like, I guess by way of wrapping it up, um two things um firstly be wicked for you to talk about the other things that are also coming out because there are, i know there's some other things that i'd love you to like plug them because there's there's some cool stuff happening for you and then secondly if there is anything that we should be excited about with the good immigrant us coming out what is that from your own mouth it'd be great to hear it um, okay, so I've got um, the paperback of my novel, The One Who Wrote Destiny, is out now. Uh, I've got two YAs out. Uh, one it was a thriller about gentrification called Run Riot, 
and another one which is about a boxer who a guy who takes up boxing after a racist attack called The Boxer, which comes out in June this year. Mm. Cool. Wow. Cool. So you and Riz like boys then? Because you, <laughs> you spoke about Riz before. Like you were like, oh yeah, like Riz, like, not like Riz Ahmed. You just like, That's yeah, his yeah, 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 so like, for real. Yeah, we went to school together. Oh, no way. Oh, no way. Okay. Yeah. You're both um, from Harrow then? Yeah, oh. like his brother and I were in the same year at school and we were really good friends and then we had like a really teenage falling out about something. Is it about um, a girl? No, 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 not no. Even. Was it at St. George's? In Harrow, St. George's shopping. No, it wasn't. <laughs> and then I, I didn't see, I, so I obviously knew Riz when, when we were at school and then I didn't see him years and years later until um, Nihal used to run this night in Notting Hill Arts Club called Bombay Bronx. Oh yeah. I like and um, <clears throat> he used to have like a monthly battle between two rappers. <laughs> and this is when I was a terrible rapper. And uh, Are you I, great now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm became average at best and realized that wasn't good enough and then gave it up. but um my the only battle i've ever done was against riz and i was like and i was so shook but i was because i was like i haven't seen you since you were a kid oh there's your brother and we still haven't no really resolved way. our teenage falling out and we're now in our early 20s and it's all a bit weird um but but we're, but but we were quickly cool because at some point you just have to be like we're at, we're adults now yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know riz and i been friends ever since. Wow, That's cool man! I thought we were gonna have like Stormzy, like Nikesh, like all the rappers on here. You know, like well, we could like, do like, like you know, Lord of the Mics, <laughs> 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 well, fire be, in the booth. Yeah, yeah, a little fire in the booth. Wow, yeah, man. You know what? On that note, right? I'm gonna wrap this up. That's just that's wild. Um, Nikesh, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been yeah, great. cheers. Thanks for having like, me, guys. Honestly, just hearing about your motivations for it was wicked. And yeah, man. everything that's coming up. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm excited. Cool. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sort of wraps up this episode. Um, unless Patrick, you look at me like you really want to say something. No, no. You good? I was just gonna say, let's. <laughs> we, we need to. We need to plug okay. stuff in it. Like, obviously. Where can you find Nikesh? Yeah, like yeah. actually, Nikesh, I'm sh- yeah, where can people find you? On Twitter, obviously. Apparently, just ranting uh, and coming just, forever. I mean, fi- find me in the bookshops. Yeah. Buy my books. Yeah. <laughs> because every, every day I wake up and go, is today the day I delete my Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow might be the day. I don't know. I'll fool you on that one. <laughs> okay, so buy, buy Nikesh's books. Just great, buy the book. Yeah, yeah, great books coming out, man. Um, great books out already. So go and, go and get them. And thank you so much for us. Like where you can find us as usual is on Twitter, funny enough, at OTB Podcast UK, on Instagram at OTB Podcast UK. And then send us an email. We love getting emails. We had some really nice ones lately from like young people. And it's funny because people who listen to podcasts listen to them not in the order. Mm. So we had one about one that we did so long ago about Black History Month, okay. which was really nice. Shout out to you. Um, some great ones. But find us uh, on email, uh, OTBPodcastUK at gmail.com. Com. And we've also got, just as an announcement, a live show coming on March the 25th, which will be at the Curtain in Shoreditch. There will be an Eventbrite page made soon. I've just been really lazy, but please buy tickets to that as well. But yeah, thank you so much, man. That's been us. Over and out. <laughs>